Hello, and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer or artist and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field, along with contest winners and a few surprise guests. So today, we're at the second day of the Writers of the Future workshop week for year 38, which is amazing. And I've got uh, Rebecca E. Treasure and M. Elizabeth Tickner. Rebecca Treasure has uh, written her story, Tsutsu Kasva Suramas, and Elizabeth has written The Phantom Carnival, which we're going to be talking about in great detail. They're both amazing stories. Obviously, they're winners. So welcome, ladies. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. It's wonderful to be here, yes. Great. Yes, thank you. So I guess the first thing is, because I've been on social media and on seeing your names as uh, honorable mentions and whatnot over the last multiple years. So Rebecca, how many times have you been entering there, or how long either, how many times or how long you've been entering the contest? Right. So I first entered in March of 2017. So every quarter since then, I've never missed a quarter. I think I'm like 22 or 23 entries now. It's quite wow. a number. Yeah, it's that a lot. Awesome. That's awesome. And then yourself, Elizabeth? Um, I started entering in uh, September of 2015. Um, I took a few breaks here and there, but um, I've, I've had 19 entries before I won. And um, I'd entered a few more times after that, but I pulled them as soon as I found out I won because, you know, you <laughs> yeah. don't want to. No, it's, you, you've accomplished your objective. That's great. So you've both written fantasy stories in the book, and we're going to talk about it a little bit here, but on the first one here with Sutsu Kasva Suramas, in the book front, um, it's got Alone, But for a Grandchild and a Fox Spirit, Emily Braves Rushes Winter and Napoleon's Army to Keep Her Family Alive and Together. So this sounds like historical fiction fantasy. So... How did you come up with this? It's, I mean, obviously, it's an amazing. I love the story. Thank it, you. It's great. And um, one thing I, I love about these, the, all the stories anyway, that are winners is it's such different ways. You know, you, one might think that it's just this is basic fantasy, this is basic science fiction, but then you've each have come up with such unique, different ways of communicating something. So a little bit about without totally you know, giving away what the story is, a little bit about what the story is besides what I just read there and how you came up with that. Right. So I've been working on a book about the Napoleonic era for a while and doing research on it. And not everything that I found, of course, was going to make it into the book. And so, but there's a lot of fodder there. It's, you know, a decade and a half or so of conflict and, and circumstances. And so I also had an Estonian adopted grandmother. She just kind of adopted our family when I was growing up. And so I kind of wanted to write a story with her in it. And so placing an Estonian grandmother in the Russian campaign in in that war really worked for me. Yeah, it's amazing. So that's how, because I was wondering, so you've got a foreign language there. Mm-hmm. And so that's what it is because from your Estonian sort of lineage. Well, the Estonian, my apologies to all Estonian listeners. I'm sure that we're not saying it correctly because what I, you know, in doing the research, I had found a lullaby that had that line in it. And Tsu Tsu, um, as far as I could tell, it just meant hush, hush. And then the Katsva Suramase means grow bigger. But like I said, I'm sure that I'm not pronouncing that correctly. And it's just a lullaby I found in a research paper on Google Scholar. <laughs> That's great. And um, Elizabeth, now, The Phantom Carnival, 
another story, and that's why I love doing these podcasts because I can I can say with totally unabashedly, I totally loved your story. You know, thank you. So the Phantom Carnival, when a desperate bid to recover stolen memories goes wrong, Alice must decide how far she's willing to go to protect her best friend. So I was like, I was totally amazed at that seemed like such a totally different concept I've ever read before. So how did you come up with that? And you talk about it being historical fiction as well. Yes. Um, my story, I, there's a lot of different inspirations that came into this. Um, the historical side of things is because when I was in college and doing my American history classes, uh, I was really interested in what happened to teenage hobos who were riding the rails during the Great Depression. There was all these kids who didn't have they couldn't get jobs or food at home, so they just hopped on trains and went looking for work, and they'd travel the whole country. And um, they also suffered a lot of different problems in the course of this. And so I, I wanted to write a story about that for a long time. And then um, on the other side over here, I had um, I, I love stories about fairies and changelings. Like I kind of want to put, a, put I kind of wanted to put a dark spin on that. So. I twisted the idea around, and then um, I didn't think of marrying the two ideas until I wrote this story. But I, I'd, I'd been thinking about both of these different angles for a long time. So that's where um, the, the two things kind of came together. And the Chicago World Fair. Yeah, that was— That was, that was I, like tripping. I was like, how does this fit in there? But then <laughs> when you said historical fiction, I'm like, oh, yeah— Yep, it was. I, the story is set right around the time um, I believe it was 1933 or 1934 when the Chicago World's Fair opened up, and um, the, the the fair was just a really interesting setting, and I wanted to put that in the story. And um, that was also right right before things started to get better historically speaking. Was when the World's Fair opened up because things started to improve in the years following that. Mm -hmm. But like that was right when things were at their worst, and the most people were were like homeless. Yeah. Too. So. And in your story. Yes. <laughs> now, in your story, Rebecca, the, um, I mean, you've got all the war happening, the Napoleonic War, so it's, it's really going there. So how much of it is actual historical fact versus where does the fact end? And, and obviously, the fantastical part there is fantastical. Right. But how much of that, you know, with the pontoon bridge that mm -hmm. you're cutting across there, that you got the Russians on one side and there's the French over there. And like, how does that, how much of that is, is the real story? So it's, when I'm writing historical fantasy, it's really important to me that anything that I'm, almost everything I'm telling the reader is factual. And then I just kind of slip magic into the cracks. And so Napoleon really did evade the Russian army and do the pontoon I mean, bridge. That close. It I mean, was, was just like, a few miles. Wow. Yeah, he dodged them, and there was just a stand of trees. And like, I went on Google Earth and like looked at the lay of the river to see where he had done that. And the Russian army did chase the French army across Russia. And the the attack into Russia, of course, was horrible. And everybody thinks you know talks about that part of it, but it was really the retreat from Moscow that destroyed the French army. It was already in really bad shape, but that retreat in the winter when it was cold and they didn't have any food, it was just horrible. And so that darkness is all of the, the horrible things that you read about. Those, those are some true stories and things that really did happen. So the only part that isn't real, of course, is, is the, the magic animal spirits. Right. Yeah. But it was definitely fun on that. And then on the Phantom Carnival, one thing that really to me communicated almost like the most 
was the friendship and how much you know you're willing to to give of oneself for the value of a friendship. Mm-hmm. So how does that fit in? Is that part of any real life, you know, relationships that you've got yourself in life that that sparked that? Um, I don't have a specific real life analog for this friendship, but it definitely appeals to my sense of what friendship is. I feel like it's very important to be willing to sacrifice of yourself in order to help someone if they need it. And but it's also important for them to be willing to do the same thing for you because friendship should always be kind of a give and take. You need mm-hmm. to be able to you need to be willing to help each other without the expectation of help in return. But also the fact that they're willing to help back in the same way is very important. And so I kind of came at it from that angle and then went from there. Okay. No, it was just it was fascinating he did that. And I really got the idea of so the underlying thing is that friendship is really important. Yes. It seemed like it was important to the author to put that oh, yes. in. I, even, yeah. I, I actually, it's it's not exactly the same thing, but with my husband, I have a very strong friendship. We were actually friends before we became romantically entangled. Uh-huh. And we still base our relationship on friendship and camaraderie first because for us, like, it's very important to just be able to be ourselves with each other and to express ourselves. And we, we try very hard to figure out where we're coming from. If, if if we're having a fight, we don't yell and scream. We stop and we talk about it and try to work it out. Which is great. Yes. Which is great. And in your story, though, you've got, I don't want to call them hobos because they're, they're mysticals. They're like, they're fantastical creatures that are, that have now have, have been transformed somehow or another, but there's so many different kinds of people and how they group together. And, and to a large degree, a lot of them are together because of safety in numbers. Mm-hmm. But then you get your subgroups within that who are actually friends and not just for the sake of protection, but just because friends. Mm-hmm. Well, um, hobos is the technical accurate term. However, I understand why you were yeah. uncomfortable. Yeah, it's, it's, there's also a, a context with that. that yeah. can, but it is the technical term. Sure. Can I say something about Liz's story? Yeah. I was say, as, as her friend, she lives these um, ideals, like, very much. So she's very willing to stand up for her friends, and she's always there for me when I need her. And we've been friends for a long time. And I particularly love this story because she first told me write, writing a story about kids riding the rails very early in our friendships, like, maybe, like, 2019 even. And my grandfather actually ran away from home and rode the rails. And so I was like, oh, wow. Liz, you have to write this story. I was so excited. And then she finally wrote it, and it was— such an incredible story that it just blew me away. And so I just really, really love this story and being Liz's friend. <laughs> That's great. This kind of like opens up now on writing friendships. You know, so you guys are obviously really good friends. So you said you've written a story together, a short story together. Yes. So a little bit about that and when can we look forward to, to seeing it? Um, the story is called White Sails and Stormy Seas. Um, it's actually on our websites now. Okay. Um, so you can find it at um, ticknertales.com uh, and also... RebeccaETreasure.com. Yes. Either one. Okay, yes. good. We, we have it on both and we link to the other one's site too. Okay, good. And what's this one about? So it was inspired by the writing prompt slash title of the Don Hodge Memorial Scholarship um, anthology for a Superstars Writing Seminar. They put out an anthology every year to fund the scholarship. And the title for the anthology that year was Hold Your Fire. And it was meant to be stories of inspiration and hope. And separately, neither Liz nor I had an idea about 
a story to tell. Um, but we'd been friends for a long time and writing and swapping stories. And so we thought, well, what the heck, let's give it a, a try and try to write it together. And we came up with a story about a mother who invents a chip, an implant chip that to communicate with her nonverbal son to try to reach him. And the, of course, fallout from that is not as simple as she'd hoped it would be. So whose idea was that? Was that your idea? It was both of ours. What we did was he took, um, I'd, I'd made kind of an outline. It was actually based on one of David Farland's um, courses on writing short stories. And it kind of broke down how you can summarize a story ahead of time to kind of write it out. And we we compared some ideas and we used that to come up with our setting, our character, and our problem. And then we didn't plot the whole thing, but we came up with just the basic plot points, which together. And we, we kind of went back and forth for probably two or three hours on Discord talking about, well, maybe what do we want to do, a sci-fi story or a fantasy story? And we went, we just kind of, it came about organically. But um, It sounds sci-fi the way you just described it. Is, it yeah. is sci-fi. It, it ended, ended up, up science fiction. fiction. Yes, it yeah. ended up science fiction, which that was actually my, my first real sci-fi short story that I yeah. tried because I, I tend to gravitate more toward fantasy, but I do really love science fiction. I have a deep abiding love for sci-fi. Right. The writing process was really interesting because – Becky's a really hardcore pantser, and I'm kind of a plantser, which is like I can I can plot or I can pants depending on the story, but I can never know which I'm going to do ahead of time. I have to figure it out with each story anew. But in this case, what we did is Becky wrote the first scene-ish or half a scene, and then she passed it to me. And then I was like, okay, I'll figure out where we're going from here because we knew the ending, but we, but we kind of improvised the way to it. Mm-hmm. And and we just took turns writing scenes, and then um, when it was finished, we went through and took turns editing in Google Docs. And by the end of it, I, I couldn't tell you exactly where any one scene stopped being one writer and started being the other because we got the the prose to feel really. Yeah, and that's yeah. I mean, that's the way it was with Larry Niven and uh, on the books that he wrote with Jerry Purnell. That's how. Sean Williams with Garth Nix, how uh, they write stuff. You, they get back and forth. And just most recently with uh, talking with Kevin J. Anderson and Brian Herbert, the way they go back and forth, by the time it's over with, you can't tell. It's like it's a third author mm-hmm. at that mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's not Kevin and it's not Brian. It's this, mm-hmm. you know, this yeah. other amalgam, which becomes almost like a different voice because you can't it become seamless. So that's really cool that you guys do that. And yeah. it was it was really a lot of fun. I would definitely do it again. We want to write a novel together eventually. Oh, that's yeah. cool. someday. So which came first then on so you obviously been writing like when when did you first start writing yourself or have this dream to be a writer? It's funny you say dream. I had finished my master's degree in 2013 and shortly after that I started having dreams about this woman with red hair fighting a battle in the snow. And I, I was like, that's weird, because it was a repeating dream. And then it kept happening. And then my husband gave me a new computer for Christmas in 2016. And I said, this is it. I'm going to write a book about this girl. So starting literally on January 1st, 2017, I started writing my story. And I figured I'm going to write this book, and that's it. I'm going to be done. And, that's, and then I got about 25,000 words into the book and realized that while I'd done a lot of 
essay writing in college. I didn't really know how to write fiction. So I started looking for instructions and help on how to write fiction. And one of the first things that I found was the Writers of the Future contest. And that's why I entered for the first time in March of that year and got rejected. And that that gave me the bug. <laughs> and I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> We're going to do better than that. And yeah, I haven't missed a quarter since. But the, the dream came from a dream. Wow, that's great. And yourself? Um, I've been, I've loved stories my whole life. I think my first story I technically wrote when I was five because I, I have a story that my mother transcribed and I drew the pictures for about my teddy bear going for a walk in the woods <laughs> and having adventures. <laughs> it's adorable. It's terrible. I love it. No, that's so <laughs> but um, I didn't really start writing writing until I was about 15 and I discovered that fan fiction existed. <laughs> and then I wrote fan fiction for about three to five years. And then I hit college and I was like, I'm going to write actual stories. And then the fact that I was ADHD and didn't know it kicked in and I couldn't write novels and because I didn't know how to make the coping work. And I'd get 5,000 words in and I'd lose it. And then I, I didn't have a story anymore. And then um, I tried writing short stories and I wasn't good at it yet because I hadn't tried it enough. Right. I, I could do fan fiction, but fan fiction is a little different. Sure. Less for lack of a better term, need for you to get all the different aspects of writing in. Like like when you're writing a short story, you want you want your setting and your description. And with fan fiction- It's already there for you. It's already there for yeah. you, so you might forget to do it because it already exists. And you're just like, oh, well, they'll know what that is. But no, you have to put that in a short story. So I tried, I, I wrote a short story in college and it wasn't very good. And I sent it to Intergalactic Medicine Show and I got my rejection. And I was like, okay, I'm done, and I folded everything up for ten years, <laughs> and I and I did tabletop role playing games instead. And I I just like ran games for Dungeons and Dragons and World of Darkness and things like that. World of Darkness is a modern day horror game. Dungeons and Dragons is high yeah. fantasy. But then I got back into it in 2015 um, because I had this story idea that I really wanted to write, and I was like, okay, I'm going to learn how to like I'm going to get back into this. I'm going to make it work. And I joined the Hat Rack River Writers Forum, um, which is is not active anymore, but it was it was active at the time. Right. It's and hard. yes. Yeah. And then um, there were a lot of people there who were entering out of the future. And I was like, okay. Yourself being a judge. One yes, of the, yes. Yeah. And that was I, I was I was I was a huge fan of Orson Scott Card when I was young. I like I I think I had read pretty much every book he wrote in, in the sci-fi fantasy spectrum sure. and i'd also read about how, how how he suggested writing stories and characters and all that kind of thing so i went to the forum and then from there i found writers of the future and i my first story got a rejection which is fair it was oh it was fair it was it Mine was too. <laughs> it was totally fair yeah but my second story got semi-finalist and i was like okay i'm gonna keep trying <laughs> so i did and then it was funny because every time i'd start to be like well maybe i should take a break, maybe I should shift focus, I'd get a finalist. Because <laughs> I got a finalist two years in. And then about two years after that, I was like, uh, I don't know. And then I may need to shift to novels. And then it was like, nope, you got another finalist. I was like, okay. And then and then it happened again. And then I won. And it was like, okay, there we go. <laughs> That's way cool. Yeah. So then, now how much has, um, I mean, you guys are all over the place in terms of your participation. You've got you definitely do the convention scene. So how much has that played into your success or what you see as your success, either reinforcing your desire to be an author or learning or by attending conventions and 
now that now that the pandemic seems to be behind us, you know, you got the um, superstars. Mm-hmm. But there's there's a because that's where I I think I saw you last. Mm-hmm. But other conventions too that you how much has that been a, a factor, positive influence for you? Um enormous in so many different ways. I went to my first writing conference in the fall of 2017, that first year, and I was just this little baby writer who didn't know anything about anything or what I was doing. And just seeing the sheer number of people that were also trying to do what I was doing was a little bit daunting, but also enormously encouraging that there was this huge community of people out there. Um, And so there's that element of it. And then also I'm part of a very active writers group and we all met at Superstars Writing Seminar and have become very close and all of our writing paths, the trajectory of them has changed significantly since we started working together. And I think that's not just an intellectual trajectory. I think it's also the fact that we have a community of support and belief around us. So when our imposter demons get really loud, our friends can be like, no, you write good stuff, keep going. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's just absolutely critical to have people that believe in your words and read your words and not just mom being like, no, honey, you're really good. But like people who read and are in the trenches alongside you going, no, keep going, you've got this. And I think that's such a huge benefit of a writing community. Absolutely. So how much have you found... I mean, Writers of the Future has got, obviously, the contests themselves, and then there's the forum, there's the um, podcast, there's the blog, and the online writing course. So how much of any, has any of that affected you or assisted you with your careers as a writer? Um, I spent a lot of time on the Writers of the Future forums. Um, I'm not as active on there as I wanted to be like lately, but that's just because I have twin three-year-olds and that'll take all your time. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I have to work to find writing time these days and that's okay. But it'll get better eventually. They'll hit school in a couple years. But um, I've, I've been on the Writers Forum since I started entering and I... I really like it because you can do you can agree to do critique trades and stuff with people on there and like and like help each other improve your stories. Um, I feel like that's a really valuable thing, and you can also make those friendships. Like Becky and I, we're, we're I'm actually in the writing group with her, mm-hmm. but um, we knew each other before we started the official group because we'd met on the forum a couple years before that, and then. Um, so when we met in person, it was like, hey, yeah, let's do this thing. Let's make a writing group happen. And, and, we, and we got together with a few other friends, and it worked out really well. But um, we wouldn't have had that if it wasn't for the forum. So that, that to me, was very useful. I, I really definitely recommend finding, what, whether it's Writers of the Future or another forum, find a forum that you're really comfortable with and you know people or you want to get to know people. The Writers of the Future forum specifically is a very useful resource. Great. And yourself, Rebecca? Um, well, I love the forum, obviously, because that's where I met, like, my whole writing life started. And there's an enormous community of people there that's that are super supportive. And then the podcast is great because listening to the judges talk about not just what they're looking for specifically in a story, because as helpful as that is, we're going to write the stories that call to us. But just listening to them talk about being professional writers and what it's like to have a career and the challenges that they've faced and the benefits that they've found doing things and the things that excite them, I think is just really helpful. And so I love the podcast. And then we did, both of us, I think, took the class yes, online the as online well class. when yeah. it first launched. So that was great getting you know, like a miniature like version of this. It was almost like a teaser, like, see, you really want to come do yeah, this. This I, is I really, awesome. I really 
really enjoyed it. It was a, I, I loved watching the um, the the speakers, especially like mm-hmm. like hearing um, Tim Powers and Orson Scott Card and David Farland just talk about how to write. And and they had some really interesting insights that I some of them I'd heard before, but not quite in that way. And some of them I hadn't heard before because you know writing advice is one of those things where everyone has their own opinion and it's not going to be right for everyone, sure. and that's okay. But like it's important to to take those things as guidelines instead of rules because it won't work the same way for everyone. Like like I said earlier, I have ADHD. I didn't know that until last year, but I've had it my whole life. And it's really affected how I write because I can't structure things the same way all the time. But knowing all those different structures from reading all those different opinions has helped me a lot because it says, okay, well, this isn't working. Let's try this thing now. I, like I, I couldn't make the outline work, but let's, let's just try using a screenplay format because I've written a few stories in screenplay format and then actually cleaned it up and written prose afterward. Mm-hmm. And it, it helps to have different resources. Yeah. You know, in the podcast, I've definitely have, I've had the gamut of people mm-hmm. with various issues and difficulties. And, you know, you have some people who had problems from the war coming back and writing stuff and they've got issues they're dealing with here. And it's just, everybody talks about how they've overcome and dealt with their issues and, I think the main thing, and that's something I always try to to establish throughout all different podcasts, is that a writer has got to want to write more than anything else that's going to stop them. Whatever that barrier is, a writer just, I've got to write. I've got to do it. No matter what they have to overcome to be able to achieve that goal, they're going to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just, I got to write. It's in my head. I got to put it down there and mm-hmm. share it, you know. That leads us a little bit into this subject of peer mentoring, which gets into the form and stuff. But mm-hmm. can you describe that a little bit for me, like how you guys visual, visualize that? Because that probably ties in with the conventions and also with the form. And so just. Yeah. So I think we've all had, I know that Liz and I have both had various writers in our lives that were really important to us um, as far as mentorship goes. But when we work together, because when we started, Liz was well ahead of me as far as like if there were metrics that were objective. You know, she'd gotten a semifinalist, I think, and even a finalist. I, I think at I that had point. a finalist, and so I was like, "Ooh, this finalist is talking to me. This is amazing." And you know, but she brought me along, and then there's been times when I've helped her work out story problems, and so having that peer-to-peer relationship takes some of the power and balance out of it, I think, and allows you to be maybe a little bit more relaxed about the relationship. And so having a peer work alongside with you for your career, I think is just as helpful as having somebody who's well ahead of you on the journey, which I also think is extremely valuable. Mm -hmm. But having somebody who kind of works with you in a peer-to-peer way, I think is really helpful and can be very comforting kind of relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, for example, um, there was a time period where I was really struggling with um, figuring out how to do internal growth for characters because I went through a period where I was like, okay, show, don't tell. That means you show what the characters are doing. No, that's not what show, don't tell means in, in prose. That, that is what it means in screenplay format, which is where I'd originally heard the term. So that's why I got confused. But um, Becky in it, some of our discourses helped me figure out a better way to go about that. And then we've just... We, we do a really good job of kind of figuring out how to balance things, like, because we all have things that, that we're better at, like, and, and, and so talking about that and helping each other, like, it, it shores up 
weaknesses and stories and helps us figure out how to make them all better as a group because when you have someone who's really good at character growth and you have someone who's really good at setting description and you have someone who's really good at I guess making people cry. Leah's really good at making people cry. <laughs> Leah Ning is in our group too and she's she's that's her big yeah, yeah. that's a trademark for Leah. <laughs> um, <laughs> when you have all those different things you can come through and you can kind of go okay and you just make sure it's hitting all those beats that you want. And 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 if you're having trouble with things, you say, help me figure this one thing out. And they'll go, okay, this. And you'll go, okay, that works. Or, okay, but maybe I need to spin it a different direction. And just knowing that they want to help you out and they're not trying to make the story theirs, they're just trying to help make your story better is really important in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. like it, it, when you can see where someone's going and you can ask and talk about it and have that more intimate connection um, instead of just going, well, you need to, you know, use the proper grammar and this and that and the other thing, which is, is also important. But like when you, when you have that more personal relationship with someone, you can get into deeper discussions about character growth and things that you don't always get from a casual critique. Right. Okay, that makes sense. Now, there's a lot of, you said you both did the uh, online uh, uh, workshop. Was there any particular of the essays from Ellen Hubbard that, like, rang true or that you found to be most um, helpful? Uh, I love magic out of a hat. I, it's just such a neat story, and it's just, reading some of the, the Hubbard stories, you can hear his voice in that essay as well and how he kind of approached things. And it's just such a neat story about how he's just like, well, all right, well, what do you do with it? And then how he just turns it into this really neat, very cool and historical story. Um, I think it's just such a fun, fun little essay and really valuable, too, for where you can get a story from. Yeah, and that's one of the things that sparked, you know, because the workshop where you have uh, Meet a Stranger, which right now we're not do quite doing yet, yeah. and then going to the library and research, and, um, and then the little random objects, because that random object, that's what that story yeah. is. Um, there's the... Um, and the thing with meeting a stranger, there's an article they wrote about Jack London, how he'd get stories. He'd get dry and he would just go to, um, he'd borrow a dollar from somebody and go to the bar and, and find somebody who just came in off the sea, you know, mm. and, and just give him a dollar, buy him a drink, and then just have him tell the stories and start getting talking. And all of a sudden, his, eyes would, his ideas would start rolling again. And then he has other article, um, Search for Research, which goes into that whole thing of, of doing that. But that's good. Do you have any particular? Um, um, I like I like the one about suspense. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah it's, it's just really interesting how he talks about that. And it, it's really good points. Like, the, the it's been a little while since I read it last, yeah. but I really enjoyed it a lot. And the points it made stuck with me. Yeah. Yeah, that's, which is one of the things that they were going over today, I know, mm -hmm. earlier. Mm -hmm. just on yeah, they suspense. did discuss it, yes. Yeah, it's just that intangible thing called suspense, but like, if you don't have it, you don't got a story. Right. Nobody, nobody's going, okay, good. That's There's no reason for the person to turn a page. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If there's yeah. not something that pulls them through the story and says, well, what happens? You yeah. Know, you need to have that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. David Farland was, was a big fan of saying hooks all the way down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, now you're both uh, short stories. You're proven short story writers um, on the way to becoming proven novelist writers. So um, what's the difference that you find between writing short stories? We've already talked about the difference between fan fiction, but short stories versus um, breaking into novels. Well, I 
been writing them alongside each other from the beginning. Because like I said, I started because I wanted to write the book about this character. Um, and so I never really stopped writing novels. And it, for a long time, I would argue with people. And I would, well, novels are easier because you just keep writing. And it's just like a short story. You just keep writing. But I wasn't doing the kind of revision work on novels that I was doing on short stories. And short stories, I don't think that they're different in in many ways except complexity. Short stories tend to be about one and maybe two arcs or concepts or ideas, whereas novels you want a number and you want to layer them and twist them and braid them together. Um, and when I really started doing the the revision work on novels, I was like, oh, no, okay, short stories are a lot easier because <laughs> it's so many fewer words to edit and, and rewrite and restructure. Um, but, yeah, I love both forms, I think. Yeah. What about yourself, um, Elizabeth? Well, I, the biggest thing for me, the reason I had a hard time with novels for so long is I couldn't figure out um, – I wanted to pants it, but I couldn't pants it because it's too complica complicated and I couldn't hold it in my head. And then when I tried to outline it, I'd lose the interest because I knew the story already. So that was why I was like, oh, well, I can't do this. But then I then I did tabletop role-playing for a long time, and I was like, okay, wait, I can outline a story like I, like I outline one of those games where you figure out the big blocks and then the characters can figure out the details for you as you go. So between that and the short stories I've written, I feel like I can move on to novels now. I'm about halfway through a rough draft for a weird Western. Um, and I'm looking... What's weird Western? A weird Western is a Western fantasy. Um, kind of a kind of Western fantasy horror a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, but it's it's definitely a Western fantasy. It's a sci-fi, it, uh, not sci-fi. It it's a fantasy story set in the Wild West. And... Um, Oh, wait, Hubbard did that too. Uh, oh, yeah, I believe it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then... It's going to be so good. I can't wait. Yeah. Um, and then I just... I'm about halfway through that, and I have a project I have to finish, and then I'm going to put full force into that. And then after that, I have a sci-fi idea to write and an urban fantasy. Um, I'm all over the place. So but. you're locked and loaded for the rest of your life. <laughs> no, I'm locked and loaded for maybe three years. <laughs> and that's okay. I don't need to have my whole life set there. So now you've you got your said your master's degree in Global Affairs was the name of the degree. It was mostly international relations with a little bit of like cultural anthropology mixed in. Yeah. So yeah. So your direction, your trajectory now is professional published author and Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'm I'm working as an associate editor editor at Apex Magazine right now, and so uh, I'm getting um, a lot of insight into that side of the industry, and I love doing that work. Um, and then the rest of my time is spent writing as much as possible and querying novels and trying to get representation for the books that I've written, and then parenting when the kids are home. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. <clears throat> All right, so now in terms of. Um, People are listening to this podcast are we got a lot of established writers, but a lot of aspiring writers, a lot of aspiring artists. So um, you've had your we'll go each one of the your challenges and and things you had to overcome and discouragement. Um, were you ready to throw in the towel? Just a little bit like brief your own arc to, you know, we've talked about you've entered this many times to finally win the contest, but what you had to overcome yourself to be able to to do this, and then also touch on to um, 
being able to do the writing as a mom? Um, well, writing as a mom is, I think, writing is, you know, anything else. You just, you like you said, if we are a writer, you write. And so you just make the, you just make it happen. Um, and as for things that I've had to overcome, it's, some days it's a day-to-day battle to to fight the voice inside your head that says, you know, you'll never be as good as, or, you know, that that imposter demon can get quite loud sometimes. And so I think the most important thing that I got very early when I was a writer was Highland's Rules. And that's like, you must write, you must finish what you write, you must not edit except editorial order, you must submit what you write. And just this idea of like, this is what you do, and you just keep doing it. And then everybody, every interview and on the Writers of the Future, what they say, don't give up. Yeah. You just don't give up. And I think that that's just the most important thing is that regardless of how loud that voice is in your head saying that you can't or that you're never going to be good enough or what have you, you sit down and you just write the next word and the next one, and you just keep going, I think. Good. And yourself? Um, as far as the mom thing goes, um. I, for a long time, I just wrote during baby naps, and they're not napping consistently anymore. So now I just write while they're watching TV, which isn't great for my focus, but it's better than nothing. <laughs> <laughs> they have their TV time every day, and I write during that. And then if they nap, I write during their nap. And um, otherwise, I just make it up as I go. <laughs> right. Uh, you have to improvise when you're a mom and you have kids, and and they're just you, you have you take what time you can get. Right. But um. In terms of things that you had to overcome, I don't know if, if mom is only the only thing, but any other well, obstacles. Before I before I was a mom, um, I did I'd had um, a few different jobs in retail, and working and writing can be very difficult because working can burn you out, mm-hmm. and and like especially if you're working a job like retail where it's you know things that just don't mesh well with your personality. Because I I don't do well with a directed consistent schedule sometimes it depends on on what the schedule is so um a job like that where it's the same thing over and over i'll get bored and then i won't have the energy to write so in cases like that writing on your day off can be good or setting time aside before you go to work um and then just kind of i guess being willing to experiment when you're stuck on a story because I, I will sometimes get stuck on something and go, well, I don't know what to do. And, um, and then I'll, if I have to, I'll set it aside, but I will try. I, that's why I have a few different methods of writing that I choose. Cause I, I will, I will try just writing in prose format. I, sometimes I outline beforehand. Sometimes I don't. Uh, sometimes I write in screenplay format before, and then change it to prose once I've got the mm-hmm. basic blocks down because it really just depends. My, my brain wants to do different things every week. That's just how that works. But right. um, it it really helps to be willing to be flexible and to accept that it doesn't matter how I write it as long as it gets written. It doesn't have to be perfect in the first draft. You just have to make it good enough that when that you can get to the better final draft and then send that out. Okay, good. Now, have there been any other particular obstacles that for either of you that were like you all, it almost made you stop okay i was i'm i'm ready to quit that's it i'm done you know that you then had to overcome because some people oh yeah i wish i could write you know and it's it's a i don't call it a whatever it is for them i don't want to evaluate and say it's it's a cop out or it's a this or it's a that i just say 
it's a, it's a block or it's a barrier that's keeping him from taking that story mm. in their head and putting it down. And some people say, well, I'm not good enough. Well, of course not. You don't get good until you actually just do it over and over mm -hmm. and over again. But um, any particular things you've had, like I said, I mentioned the thing about Brandon. Mm -hmm. um, but in almost every person I've spoken with, they've had those things they had to overcome. So what about yourselves? I wrote a lot when I was a little kid um, and when I was in high school. And somewhere along the way, I had a very difficult time from in my late teens and early 20s. It was just a really dark time for me. And somewhere, I think that emotionally I, I had conflated writing fiction and poetry with that difficult time period. Like it was a juvenile thing to want to do. And so when I went to college, that's what grownups did. And I wrote essays now and I was writing nonfiction and doing research. And that's why I think it took me so long after grad school to let that story that was pestering me, you know, regularly in my dreams out and onto the page because I had to accept that this was something that I could do and that was valuable and important. And I have to thank my husband because I said, you know, I think I'm going to write a book. And I was internally kind of, what's he going to say? Is he going to go, why would you do that? Or that's weird. And he just kind of blinked and said, really? What about? And he was interested and engaged with that immediately. And that encouragement, again, of having somebody believe in the ability and the value of spending your time this way, I think was huge. And so I think, yeah, you know, just kind of growing back into it, I think was really valuable for me. And yourself? So um, for me, um, the hardest part was honestly just realizing that rule, that writing rules, quote unquote, are not rules because I took things a little too literally sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I couldn't do this thing or that thing, I was like, oh, well, that means I can't write. No, it means I can't write that way. And it took a long time. The reason I started writing short stories is because I wanted to write novels, but I knew I couldn't do that because I couldn't figure out how to focus on it. I couldn't figure out how to make it happen. So I was like, okay, so what I'll do is I'll start with short stories, and then it'll get bigger and bigger and bigger, and eventually I'll have a novel after I've written about five to ten short stories. Well, it took, I, I wrote more short stories than I expected because um, I got five to ten stories in, probably about ten, and then I got pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> which we'd been trying for for a long time, but the pregnancy kind of really threw me off in a different way. It was just real. I've talked with a couple other women who, like, when they were pregnant, they couldn't really focus. And I feel like it's just because you're so focused on the child or children, mm -hmm. in my case, th growing, that that you can't really think that way because stress can affect any writer in a bad way sure. and make it very hard for them to write. Well, that's kind of, it's not necessarily a bad stress, but it's still stress. stress. Yeah. And so I couldn't write basically the whole time I was pregnant. And then after that, I was like, well, I'd been planning to write novels, but I think I'll wait till they're older and I'll just keep doing the short stories for now. And it got to a point where I felt like I can write novels. I just need the time. And that's kind of where I'm at now is I'm just finding the time when I can to work on it. But I feel like I can make it happen, which is not something I felt like when I started writing short stories again. Um, so I, I think that entering the contest helped me get that, um, that certainty. And then I had a few story sales before I won, and that also helped. Just mm -hmm. no, like the second time especially, it was like, oh, this wasn't a one-off thing. People want my stories. And so... As, uh, that vote of confidence has got yeah. to be something. Oh, yeah, it helps. Feeling. That's huge. Yes. Yeah. So um, 
So then you finished. We've had a pretty big fire hose shooting into your <laughs> into your brain now. This so far today with mm-hmm. uh, with Jody and Tim. So what's it been like so far um, at the workshop? Incredible. I, like you said, it's it's like drinking from a fire hose. Um, but like I said, I've been to a number of writing conferences. But what's special about this is that it's very personal and very interactive, and they're talking directly to us about the craft and it's a very focused kind of like this is what you do first and this is there they are breaking it down by subject and so that's been really great and then just being in the room with so many other amazing writers that's always my favorite part of any gathering is it's like you can see the ideas floating in the air above everybody's head mm-hmm. and I just I love that part I love being in the room with other writers yeah it's been a lot of fun um I really liked just the personal touches and things like the fa- the object when they give you the object it's you get to play with it and look at it and talk with your partner and figure out what what you might want to what direction you might want to go and it's it feels really energizing in a weird way cuz it's definitely tiring it's mm. definitely tiring just wait but, till friday huh? oh i i know just wait <laughs> oh man i i have i am saving energy just for that day yeah. <laughs> but like it's 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 definitely tiring but it's also really refreshing and i i really i i got to go with to lunch with tim powers and and jody lynn nye and it was really fun to, just talking with them in a casual way See, one thing that's different about and I was talking to Tim and Jody about this last night, that this is different than all the other workshops because they consider you on, an, on par. Like you're now, because you made it into Writers of the Future, you're now professional. They don't consider you like some of the other workshops. Um, Clarion said, this is, it's a different, you can, it's like apples and oranges to, to Clarion because there you're still working it you're trying to get, build that up and it's it's they teach you now on this one here as though you are you can write now they're now they're like helping you to hone it even better but you've mm-hmm. made that grade now as a pro and so it's a whole different thing they're not talking to you like yeah they are the instructor but they're also let's go have lunch and let's go have dinner let's mm-hmm. let's go to the bar con tonight and let's just chat right and you're going to find when all the other um, judges come here over the next couple of days and they're talking with you, they're, that's how they view you. They're like fellow brethren, you know, we're, you know, welcome to the fold, you know. And so they're, it's, a, it's just a different thing, you know, that the other conferences aren't that. That's one thing that, that Tim says that makes this so different for him because he's taught so many different conferences yeah. and stuff. So um, what were you most looking forward to? To coming out here for the workshop week and I'm looking forward to the art reveal. The art reveal is definitely exciting. I'm, I'm so I'm, excited. <laughs> I'm honestly looking forward to the 24 hour story because I've I've done things like that before, but under different circumstances. And it was usually just flash. I want to. I, I don't. I, I want to try for a little longer than flash if I can swing it. <laughs> yeah. But I, I. I just. I'm looking forward to having. A day of just writing time. I haven't had that in a long time. Yeah, and uh, just so you know, Dave Farland on the story that's that's in here and the story that he wrote for the cover art that was done mm-hmm. is flash fiction. He's yeah, you know, he just said, "Look, I want you know people want to know do we accept flash fiction in Rise of Feet? Yes, we do." And here's the story. And it's wonderful. Yes, yeah. I had the privilege of proofreading this volume, and it's such a beautiful story. It yeah, is it's so good. 
So um, I chopped you off being able to, for you being able to answer that. Oh, no, I'm just really excited about the art reveal. Because yeah. I think one of the things that happens with people who enter Story of the Future, because once you know about that whole thing, it's like you submit a story that you think might be the one, and you think, okay, well, if it's the one, which scene are they going to paint? And so you daydream about that. That's one of the things that, like, that little internal hope that, yeah. you know, to counter that imposter demon, it's like, well, what would that be like in which scene? And so – and then you make finalists and, you're, and you think that maybe, oh, well, well, then it's real and you can really picture it. And so I'm really excited to see that manifest and, and get to meet the artists and talk to them about interpreting something that I wrote into – I'm just – the whole thing just thrills me. Yeah. I'm in, oh, sorry. I'm definitely also very interested in the art reveal, like I said, because – well, Becky kind of covered it. But, like, I, I, am, I, I do also um, draw and, and paint a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I – I wouldn't consider myself a professional, but I'm, I'm definitely a very dedicated amateur. I just don't have time to draw and draw right, paint, yeah. draw and write. There we go. At the same time with the kids right now, so I kind of have to pick one or the other. But I'm really curious to see what they choose as an artist as a scene, and, and if I would do it differently. And and I probably would, but like I'm sure theirs is going to be better than mine ever would have been. And I, I want to see what it would be. Yeah, it's it's going to be a lot of fun, and I'll be doing another podcast. That'll probably be a live broadcast on that one there for the podcast mm-hmm. since I go around and, and listen to the people. squealing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> squealing, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's 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 definitely a lot of fun. And then what about the gala? Oh, I am terrified, but I'm looking forward to it. I'll be fine. <laughs> um I'm just I'm naturally a little shy sometimes, uh-huh. but I think I'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. You the thing about the gala is that um, everybody that's there is so excited for you. They're there to celebrate your, your success, your win. You know, the judges are obviously there to just, they're so excited about seeing you, you know, win. And for them, it's a big deal. And we'll do a thing tomorrow night. We'll drill how to do acceptance speeches because, you know, it's something you never, most people never have to, to deal with that. And then how do you do it? Because internet's forever, mm-hmm. you know. So what you're going to say up there is going to be there forever. And it's and a lot of, you know, in today's age, because there there is a lot of talent out there, but agents, editors, you know, if they know what they're getting into with somebody, if they know that somebody, well, this person's really nice. They're very appreciative. They're you know they're. They keep their word. If they say they're going to do something, they do it. That that all that all is something that will push something into your direction as compared to someone who's known to be unruly or rude or um, doesn't make their deadlines and stuff. So this is a good way for someone to get an idea of like who they're hopefully you know going to to choose. It's absolutely. And now um, because of you know like this podcast, they're going to find you that way. On this, on the event itself, um, it's it's just going to have a lot of your face to be out there, and you know your name will be in front of a lot of different people. And so, hopefully, you know, some editor, because our book is definitely viewed by all editors in science fiction and fantasy, is going to say, "Okay, yeah, I want. I want who are those two girls there, Elizabeth and Rebecca? Who are they?" I need to follow up on them a bit. <laughs> Here's hoping. Exactly. Somebody make us write a novel together. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I guess as we're getting ready to, to wrap up here, so any um, 
advice that you would have, now each of you, so um, that you would have them for the aspiring writer that you'd give to them, you know, and you could do the default, don't give up, but, and you can include that in there, but anything else that you would add to that? I remember listening to the Writing Excuses podcast when I first started writing, and I had no idea what they were talking about half the time. It just, some of the things they said baffled me. Um, and I remember thinking, like, God, there's just so much to know. And I would get advice from somebody on a story, and I'd be like, I, I can see why they're, why they're saying that's a problem, but I don't know how to fix it. And it ties into Don't Give Up in that as you grow as a writer, these things are going to fall into place when you're ready for them to, right? So just because you don't understand something or something seems really hard or you think you can never plot or, you know, you can't write science fiction or what have you, you know, if you just keep that grit and that hope alive, I think that that all of these things are achievable. Um, you just have to be patient with yourself sometimes and let your brain churn on it and, you know, you'll figure it out and just believe in yourself and don't give up. Yes. Yourself? Yep. Um, for me, I would definitely say don't be afraid to try new things and don't be afraid to experiment. Um, the Phantom Carnival was written in first person present tense and it was about the first story I had done that with in a long time because when I first started writing shorts again, someone was like, don't do that ever. And I was like, okay, <laughs> no, no. I just needed to learn how to do it well. Mm -hmm. And some of that is just practice. But also, I have a firm belief that you can't learn something without trying. So don't be afraid to try things. Like, like write a second-person future tense story if you want. It'll be weird. It could be fun. It might be terrible. Do it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, play around with what you're interested in. Try outlining. Try pantsing. Try anything that catches your interest writing-wise. Because if you are passionate about something, it will come through in your story. And sometimes non-standard story structures are necessary in order to make a story work. I, I don't think the ending for The Phantom Carnival would have been as potent in third-person present tense for reasons I cannot say because of spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I made that choice very purposefully. And I feel like it made the story better. Absolutely. And it's interesting because there's this, which I'll be talking to um, Dean Mosley Smith about, it's a, one, of the, one of the essays that Owen Hubbard wrote called Booze and Taboos. Mm. And it's about, during the, the pulp magazine era, there's certain formulas you had to stick to in order to, to sell. And he said, this is how you do this kind of a story, and this is how you do that kind of a story. And he'd intentionally go and switch it up. He'd reverse it, you know. So mm -hmm. The Professor Was a Thief, one of the stories, uh, which is in uh, the current volume. At that time period, the mad scientists were blowing things up. Mm -hmm. And this scientist shrunk things down, made everything, you know, miniature. Another story, Mad Dog Murder, you know, it was about Pekingese, who was, you know, <laughs> so it was a, a thriller suspense, you yeah. know, murder mystery of where the villain was a Pekingese. You know, <laughs> oh my gosh, that's awesome. That. <laughs> I love that. That's adorable. You know, that's just, but what you're saying there, you mm -hmm. just, you got to try some, go outside the box. And as I say, you, this is how you do it. Don't fall for that. No. You know? 
You know, you're absolutely, you're so That's how they do it. Yeah. You do it your way. (laughs) Exactly. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Well, um, I knew that we would uh, easily fill in an hour, and we have. So I want to thank you both very much. It's been so much fun uh, talking to you. Thank you. And uh, I said, I love your stories, so I wanted to get more insight into it. So thank you very much for um, participating. And thank you for listening. Subscribe to the Writers of the Future podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The Writers of the Future podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, Player FM, iHeart, and Spotify. We've also been syndicated on the United Public Radio Network where you can find these podcasts as well. The Writers of the Future series can be purchased wherever books are sold in the U.S., Canada, the U.K., Australia, and South Africa, and available everywhere else on Amazon. And that includes Writers of the Future Volume 38, which these two ladies are going to be published in. Writers and Illustrators of the Future are contests created by Elwin Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to new and amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction and fantasy. Again, thank you very much, Rebecca and Elizabeth. Thank you. Thank you.